it's funny, whenever I come to Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday to me is always kind of bittersweet. I don't know if, if it feels that way to you. It, Palm Sunday is all about the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, uh, five days before crucifixion, when the people gathered and they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. But if you remember, we've been kind of working our way through the book of Romans. And as we've worked our way through the first three chapters, we've come to an understanding that all mankind is guilty before God. And that that thing which makes us guilty before God is called sin. And in order for us to have an understanding of what sin is, we have to consider... Um, how we look at our world, our worldview. Now, we talked about it a little bit. Look, worldviews, at least in this terms, I'm talking about either having a man-centered worldview or a God-centered worldview. I'm not talking about having a worldview that, that has God as a part of it. I'm talking about what is the central point of how we interpret our world and the things that happen around us. If we have a world-centered or a man-centered worldview, then man's rights, man's needs, man's desires is central to how we interpret the things that happen around us. If we have that kind of a mindset, then all sin is, is the wrong we have done to others and what others have done to us. And if that's our view of sin, we're missing the biblical picture of sin. If we have a God-centered worldview, that means that the way we interpret the things that happen to us is centered on God's needs, God's desires, God's goals, God's rights in my life. And if that's the view that I come from, I can have a better understanding of what sin really is. Because what we do to one another may indeed be sinful. But sin is belittling, devaluing, or dishonoring God Almighty, period. That's the sin that separates us from a creator of the universe. And when we come to Palm Sunday, when I hear the people on the sides of the road shouting, Hosanna! Which means, save us now! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which means you are our deliverer, the Messiah, the promised, Mashiach Nagid. But it's all centered on a man-centered view. What do they want salvation from? Sometimes the same things people come to Christ for today. They want salvation from poverty. They want salvation from uh, things that have happened in their life. They want salvation from a disease. Or they want salvation from some other thing. But all of those things are a man-centered view of the beauty of the truth of salvation that we see when Jesus Christ became salvation for us. How do I know they had a man-centered view? Five days. And those shouts will turn from Hosanna to crucify Him. Five days. 
from being a part of this humongous parade coming into town with everybody proclaiming how great and how marvelous and now it's the time we're really going to see some change. Five days to the cross. That's what Palm Sunday is. Palm Sunday is the day man failed to, to respond to love God in the flesh. Because he didn't measure up to their man-centered view. That's Palm Sunday. So when we come to John chapter 12, and we come to this section of Scripture that the Lord leads us to, we're backing up one day. John chapter 12, the first, what do we got? Uh, um, 10, 11 verses. That's six days before the crucifixion. The day before Palm Sunday. And on the day before Palm Sunday, we get this, this interesting picture taking place, okay? So, so when we consider sin, and that sin is dishonoring, belittling, devaluing God, and it has everything to do with my relationship to the Creator, more so than my relationship to my brothers and sisters. That's primarily, it starts here, vertically, right? My relationship with God. Then, when that's right, it can move horizontally to my brothers and sisters. So, so I gotta understand that, that I am a sinner. And that in that sin, what I recognize in myself, what Paul recognized in himself, what Peter recognized in himself, what John recognized in himself, is that we are broken men and women with a bent toward evil. To do what dishonors God is easy. To do what honors God is difficult. Isn't that what Paul declares in Romans chapter 7? The things that I ought to do, I don't do. The things that I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. So we have this brokenness within us. But listen, here's what God's Word declares. The the most well-known verse on earth, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He what? What? His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but... Have everlasting life. Okay, so this promise that, that God loved us so much that He gave everything He had to give so that He could save us from the predicament we're in, that we're broken. And when we look at John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him, through Jesus Christ, might be saved. So, so God's goal throughout this book... I don't care where you go. God's goal throughout this book is to save men and women. Now there's a lot of times we read through this book the destruction of men and women. But that doesn't change the heart of God. God God declares that I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked. But, rather than glory in the destruction of the wicked, that the wicked would repent, turn, and live. That's God's desire. That all men everywhere would experience the miracle of justification. The miracle of taking a broken man or woman and make them whole. And that miracle is accomplished through the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. 
His life, His sinless life, the, the beauty is, is most readily seen there. So He did not come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And this is the condemnation of the world, that light has come. But men love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds are evil. As far as I'm concerned, you could say it like this, because they're broken. Evil is natural. I never had to teach my children to lie. It's a miracle. They were born with the knowledge. Pretty early. I'd come walk into the room and there would be a broken glass. Now it's only Kathy, me, and one child at this time. Babe, did you break the glass? Nope. I didn't break the glass. JC, did you break the glass? Uh-uh. <laughs> JC, there's three of us here. Uh, I, didn't, I don't know who did it. I don't know. I don't, he can barely talk. He can just dad, dad, mama, but he can lie. We're broke. We are, uh, have a bent toward evil. And the point of that lie is not how it affects me or Kathy. It really doesn't affect us that much. The glass is broke. The point of the lie is that it dishonors God, that it devalues God, that it offends Him. That's what makes it horrible. We're broke. Light came to the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light because we have this brokenness within us. So the Bible teaches us, right, that the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life, right, through Jesus Christ, His Son. So so the wages of sin brings destruction. Our, Our brokenness kills me. But God will make me alive. The beauty, the illustration of the beauty of the miracle of justification, being made right with God, the beauty of that is illustrated in the resurrection. In the resurrection. For he who was dead became alive. Right? Every person before they know Jesus Christ is, according to Ephesians chapter 2, dead in their trespasses and sin. Right? So we're dead in our trespasses and sin, but He has made us alive together in Him. Flip over there real quick. Ephesians chapter 2. And we see this, the concept of the illustration that the, the brokenness being healed in mankind is illustrated in the resurrection from the dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, He lays out this this concept to us. And you, He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. So we all come from that place, right? We all come from a place of being dead in trespasses and sin, without life, until... 
we put our faith in Christ, in His finished work, and then He raises us from the dead. He makes us alive together in Him. That's what He's declaring. It says in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of this great love with which He loved us, how do we not know that God so loved the world? He did what? He gave His only begotten Son. This great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, in trespasses. What good can a dead man do? For that matter, what bad can a dead man do? What can a dead man do to help himself? When we were dead in trespasses and sin, He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace, nothing I earned, by grace I have been saved. That's what He declares. And He raised us up together. He raised us from the dead that we would sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. See, the the beauty... The miracle of justification, the miracle of salvation, the miracle of taking a broken person and making them whole is illustrated when Jesus raises someone from the dead or in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Each of us is risen. Each of us is made alive Together with Him. So when we come now to John chapter 12, and we come to the text that we have chosen this morning for Palm Sunday, that really occurred the day before Palm Sunday, just before they walked out in the crowd, and they shouted, Hosanna to the Lord. And we find Mary, Martha, and Lazarus throwing a special dinner for Jesus because he had raised their brother from the dead. In John chapter 12, it's the very first 10 verses. What, what I see that, what I, what I hope I'm able to express is when the miracle of justification takes place and a broken life is made whole in Christ Jesus, the response is going to be John chapter 12. The response to the miracle of justification is what we see in John chapter 12. It's not something they work up. It's not something they, 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 you know, strive to make happen. You guys know what I mean? Like, sometimes we try to make ourselves churchy or holy or something. It's not that. It's just the natural outpouring of the reality or the truth that they have been made justified. The reality, the truth of salvation in the life of God's people. Illustrated on John chapter 12. We go through this world broken in sin. And we ignore it. And in that brokenness, we break other people more. We do more damage. We cause more problems. And all the while, trying to put our finger in a hole of a dike that really isn't the problem. Because the problem is, we sinned against God Almighty. So it's no longer a case of 
well, I'm better than that guy or I'm better than that guy. The Bible declares that we are guilty before God Almighty. We have dishonored Him. We have devalued the greatest treasure in all the universe. And so He stepped into time so that He without brokenness, would take my brokenness upon himself. That he was broken for me. Isn't that what we talk about when we talk about the crucifixion, when we talk about the Lord's Supper and we take the bread? What, what does it symbolize? What does the bread symbolize? The fact that he, who had never known brokenness, became physically broken for me. So I, what does Isaiah 53 say? By His stripes, or in His brokenness, we are healed. In His being broken for me. He who knew no sin became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God. That's the miracle of salvation. It's a miracle of justification. It's a miracle that we can see the response to in John chapter 12. John chapter 12 takes place right after John chapter 11, which Jesus declared himself to Mary and Martha as the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. But their brother's dead. They had wept for four days. Do you ever weep for four days? Some have wept for longer than that. They wept for four days. And Jesus came. And he simply said, Lazarus, come forth. And he was alive. Listen, the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is no greater than the miracle that Jesus made you alive who were once dead in your trespasses and sin. It's no different. And the response in John chapter 12 is important for us to see how our attitude should be as believers on Palm Sunday. Not like the rest of the people shouting, save me from all this other stuff, but as believers who are really praising the glory of God who is walking before them, headed toward His sacrifice, that we would have that right attitude. Look at John chapter 12 with me. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom He had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And Mary, she took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii given to the poor? And he said, he said this, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. 
and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me you do not always have. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, on this Palm Sunday, that rather than look at the traditional concept of of men praising the, the day that the Lord had made when Jesus entered into the city, that we might look at the heart of believers who acknowledge, who pour out upon their Savior love extravagantly, naturally, because He had made them alive again. God, I pray that You would be glorified and magnified in this place. Lord, that we truly would open our hearts to understand that which You have to show us this morning. We give You praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a beautiful thing when we come to the pages of Scripture and we see the value of Jesus Christ being shown equal to the love of His disciples. That they're loving Him in equal proportion to His value. That's John chapter 12. That's the response of of those who had been made alive together with Him, who sit with Him. Him in the heavenly places. Their response is an outpouring of love, not churning it, not making it happen. It's just natural. Look what it says in in John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before Passover, six days before Jesus is hanging on the cross, nine days before He's resurrected, five days before His betrayal, One day before he walks into Jerusalem on the day that Daniel predicted in Daniel chapter 9. So here, the day before, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, was. He came to Lazarus' place. Uh, Some people think this is Simon the leper's house. Possible, I'm not sure it's the same event. But it doesn't really make any difference. We know who was there. Jesus, twelve disciples, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. At least. The scripture tells them many people came, right? Because not only did they want to see Jesus, who else did they want to see? They want to see Lazarus, right? It's not every day a dead man comes to life again. Do you know that people, when they recognize the true working of Jesus Christ in the life of an unbeliever, when God has raised to life one who was previously dead in trespasses and sin, that people want to hear about it, they want to flock to it, they want to see it, because a, a life is radically transformed. Radically transformed. Not, not just the same, not the same as it was yesterday or the day before. It's radically changed. How radical is it for someone to be dead and then alive again? Pretty radical, right? 
Yeah, so it's, it's hard to recognize a life coming to Jesus Christ, being saved, and then God comparing it in Ephesians chapter 2 to raising him from the dead. That's a radical change that occurs in the life of a believer, right? In the same way, people will come. They want to hear. They want to hear how this life was changed. Because apart from Christ, not many lives are changed in this world, are they? People tend to stay as they are. There tends not to be those changes. So people are coming to this dinner, but I want you to see in verse 2, what's it say? Then they made him. They. Who's they? They, by the way, is plural. So they is not just Martha. It is Martha and Lazarus and Mary at least. And there may be others involved in the they through Him specifically. Who's the Him? Him is Jesus Christ. They specifically throw Him a celebratory dinner because He had raised their brother from the dead in chapter 11. The, they wanted to do something for Jesus. I mean, can you imagine what it was like for them sitting there in the room? You got Martha and Mary and Lazarus and the twelve disciples, and, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus look at Jesus different than everybody else. Everybody else maybe looks at him still from a man centered worldview, but no more from Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They know who he is. They're not wondering, I wonder if he really is God. When's the last time somebody raised you from the dead? Not a lot of guys running around doing that, is there? Not a lot of guys doing it since. So, man, this, this is something really special. Really incredible. And they see him and they, and they, and they love him. And they love him naturally, extravagantly, lavishly. They love him with a prodigal love to the prodigal God from a prodigal son. Once upon a time, they spent their life on themselves. But now that seems ridiculous to them. Now the concept of spending their life on self somehow falls so short when they consider all that God has spent on them. That's what prodigal means. To spend all. The God who spent it all on them, they are now responding. They're, they're spending it all on Him. They throw Him a dinner, just for him, a special dinner. What's the scripture say? Martha served. Martha served. No complaining this time. No, no. Martha is who Martha is. You guys know Martha's in life? I know a few Martha's. There's no reason to fix a Martha or to stop a Martha. Listen, Martha loves Jesus just as much as Mary loves Jesus just as much as Lazarus loves Jesus because of what Jesus had done in their life. And the way she responds to Jesus is she serves. She doesn't keep track of her time. She's not considering who's working and who's not working. She's just loving Him by serving Him. 
Martha served. Natural. That's who she was. She's a server. She likes to serve. It says Lazarus. Lazarus was one of those who sat by the table with him. So Martha served. Lazarus communed with God. He communed with God. In fact, Lazarus was being a witness. Oh, Jackie, you might be reading into that a little bit. No, you remember the end of this section? People were coming to see who? Lazarus. Why? Because he was once dead, but now he's alive. They want to hear. They want to hear the story. They want to hear him bear witness of what Jesus Christ did in his life. Mary Mary is worshiping. Martha is serving. Lazarus is witnessing. Natural outpouring of what God had done in their life already. They're not trying to work it up. They're not trying to make anything happen. It's just natural. But the greatest, the the extravagancy, the beauty is seen in what Mary did. But I I want you to be aware that what the others did was no less beautiful. But for illustration's sake, it's easy to to look at what Mary did. That's That's why Jesus recorded it for us. So we come to this and we see the, the beauty of what, of what Mary did. It says, she took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, a pound. It's really the word litra. It, it means 11 ounces. She'd have carried a flask not as big as this. So it would have been uh, like a soda can. Only not a soda can, but you get the idea. Roughly the size. Filled with the most extravagant with the most fragrant oil perfume of the day. Of the day. The best that anyone on earth could have. She took this costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So as we look at the extravagance of the outpouring of the love in, in what Mary did, she gave all that she had. They threw Jesus at dinner. I, I want to make this point. A lot of people think that somehow this was just something from Mary. Um, uh, certainly Mary is the one who pours it out, but I would see this more as a family heirloom that that Mary's been given the opportunity to anoint Christ with. I think it's from all three of them. They're just doing what they do naturally out of love for God and in serving and in witnessing and now in worshiping. (laughs) And and so Mary takes this, this costly oil and she pours it out on the dirtiest part of God. Dirtiest. But he was walking everywhere in sandals. Look, sometimes we think, you know, God became man and he walked on earth and somehow he floated above the dust and his feet didn't get dirty and he didn't sweat and he, and he didn't smell just like everybody else. But he did. 
feet were filthy. She took the most precious family possession that they had and she poured it on his dirty feet. And then she took what was the prize for a woman in those days and today and she turned it into a rag to wipe his feet off. She, she wiped his feet with her hair. And that's extravagant love. Poured forth out of a heart that recognizes the miracle that he had done in making a dead man alive again. The same miracle he does in the lives of everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. We who are dead in trespasses and sin, he has made us alive. This extravagant, extravagant gift is poured out. But then, then there's another heart there, right? Because, because we always, in scripture often, we have comparisons and contrasts. And so we see Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus who, who have come to know really who Jesus is. And his 12 disciples who are not quite getting it yet, right? Because Jesus has told them a number of times, I'm going to die and I'll be dead for three days and I'll rise again. And and they don't get it, right? They don't get it. Do they get it? No, they don't get it. They don't understand it yet. But but, but amongst those 12 is one guy in the 12 who never really believed he was who he said he was, who speaks now for the first time in Scripture. His first word is, why? I keep that in mind whenever I feel that word coming out of me. Oh, that's Judas's word. <laughs> I, I hate following his example. Judas said, why? Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So, so we're going to learn two things from what Judas has to say in, in Judas's heart. In contrast to Mary, Martha, and, and, and Lazarus' heart, which is filled with love for their Savior, Judas, on the other hand, says, first, he tells us how much it was worth. 300 denarii. A denarii, very simply, is a day's wage. The day's wage in, um, in the land was built out of a 12-hour day. You want to know what 300 denarii is? Take minimum wage times 12 hours a day times 300 days. So if we use, I don't even know what minimum wage is, so I just pick easy numbers like 750. And we say, okay, 750 uh, times 12 hours times 325,000. She took $25,000 worth of perfume and she dumped it out and it's on his feet and it's in her hair and it's running all over the floor it's everywhere it's filled the whole room with the fragrance everybody has it filled in their nose and and it was worth twenty five thousand dollars Twenty-five thousand—that's a lot, man. Man. The second thing we learn is he said, <clears throat> "Why was it not given to the poor?" Now the scripture tells us in the next verse it's not that he cared about the poor, 
but because he was a thief. What did Judas love? Money. How do I know? He wasn't concerned with what he, what he was giving in response to the, the love that God had poured out in his life. What he was concerned with was how much could he get if he sold it. You know how much he got? $1,000. Or in his day, 30 pieces of silver. We see the cost of what was given. But not only do we see the cost of what was given, but we, we also see the heart of Judas is a heart of covetousness. We see the worldview of Judas is not centered on God. It's centered on self. It's man-centered. My rights, my needs, my desires. And so the natural expression of love flowing through the heart of Judas never happened. He never saw his need. He never experienced the miracle of justification or salvation. Though he walked with Christ every day for three years. Never saw it. Man. Judas shows us a heart that does not respond in love, but is focused on self. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus show us a heart responding in extravagant love toward the one who gave all for them. And you know what? 25,000 bucks, they didn't even think about it. 25,000, whatever, it's oil. That kind of perfume, that oil, that perfume, the scent of that perfume would have stained the floor of their house. So every day when Mary and Martha and Lazarus would walk around the house, they would still smell that perfume. But everywhere that Jesus went, everywhere that he went throughout that next week, they would smell it. Whoever was around him would smell it. Every time a Roman soldier beat him, he could smell the perfume. Throughout the scourging, he could smell the perfume. When Jesus was hung on the cross, and prior to the time when he would say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he looked down and at the foot of the cross was his mother at the foot of the cross. Where did that perfume get put? What do you think she smelled? Did she smell... Smell of the sacrifice. God says it is a is a an amazing, beautiful scent. When God became our sacrifice, and Jesus said to John, "Behold your mother," and to his mother, "Behold your son." What what was the last thing she smelt there? What Mary had poured out on his feet. Extravagant love. Is that our response on Palm Sunday? 
When we think about and consider what all God has given us and, and the sacrifice that He made in, in His death, burial, and resurrection, is our response love like that? Or is our response more like Judas? Why? Something interesting in Jesus' response to Judas, there's, there's three things I want to bring out there. When Jesus responds to him, it says, but Jesus said, let her alone. And, and, and I think he said it for, I think he makes three points out of it. Three points I'm going to pull out of it anyway. And I'm going to do them in reverse order because I'm the one preaching, so I get to do what I want. So, Jesus said, let her alone. Listen, she has kept this for the day of my burial. That's one. For the poor you have with you always. That's two. But me you do not have always. That's three. So we're going to start with that. But me you do not have with you always. Six days from the cross. Six days till he's going to be gone. Six days till the word that became flesh would be gone. I'm not always going to be here. And... At this moment, in His presence, Mary feels the preciousness of Jesus. Martha feels the, the, the majesty of Jesus. Lazarus feels the power of Jesus. And in this place, it is expressed in this outpouring of love for the one who very shortly would give it all for them. Very soon. The second thing, let her alone, the poor you have with you always. If I have discovered anything in ministry, it is this. If you want to minister to the poor, you can do it every day, 24 days or, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not true, Jackie. Well, come on. I'll do it with you. You want to go for it? Let's, let's strap it on and go. I have not found a day. Where the poor did not need help. I have not seen the soup kitchen prepare a meal where nobody showed up. I have not seen the food pantry passing out food boxes and nobody showing up. So Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Judas, you always have an opportunity to minister to the poor. If your heart truly is to minister to the poor, what Mary has done here would encourage you and equip you, not discourage you. The poor, they're always around. But Judas, you don't love the poor. You don't love the poor. You love yourself. And in five days, you're going to sell me for a thousand dollars. What would you sell Jesus for? What price would you put on his value? What's he worth? Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we are taking how much out? Nothing. I try to remind myself this. It's, it's hard for me, but I try to remind myself of this. There's not a special reward in heaven if 
we get there as Calvary Chapel Buell and we have the biggest savings account of any church. No special reward for that. Right? Who gets it now? Now there is definitely, absolutely, and without a question, uh, the concept of stewardship. Not to be wasteful or, or, or slothful or lazy concerning our, our care of money. But there's certainly no reward for who can save the most. Is there? We brought nothing into this world and we take... Nothing out. My favorite scene in that uh, that uh, movie. What's that movie about the Holocaust, babe? I always talk about Schindler's List. I can't never think of the name of it. You remember the end of it? The end of Schindler's List. He doesn't go. Man, I wish I hadn't spent all that much money to get you guys out. They give him a, 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 an award, right? They give him a little gift. He starts weeping. So I could have sold my watch. That would have saved maybe four. My ring, five more. (laughs) That, That moves me. That passion ought to be the passion I have for Jesus Christ. What else could I do for Him? What other... What other time, what other moment, whatever, what other place? I don't, I don't get to take anything with me. And I'm not trying to be dumb or stupid with it either because I could spend it all in 10 minutes. I just open a door and give it away. People will take it. But to honor Jesus with our finances... Listen to what, what, Paul, what else he said. He said, listen, those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare. Well, what was the deal with Judas? He wanted to be able to take the 25 grand and steal some of it. And when the time came, when the time came, when Jesus was to be betrayed, he would sell him for a thousand bucks. Some people sell him for a lot less. But the, the first thing he said is the one I want to leave you guys with. Let her alone. She has kept this for my burial. What had she kept? Oh, the oil of spikenard. No. She poured it out. She didn't keep it. What did she keep? That attitude of love and worship and affection for the one who had given it all for him. So Jesus says to to Judas, be quiet or your worldliness will infect her. And she will find herself wandering down a road saying, we had hoped that he was the Messiah. We did believe that he was the one. Instead, where will you find Mary? Last at the cross. Where will you see her three days later? First, at the tomb. Why? 
because she loved him. Where were the disciples? They were afraid. What was their worldview? Man central. The, their needs, their fears, their desires were focused on themselves. So they sat in a room. With the exception of John, they weren't at the cross. They didn't see the sacrifice. They didn't hear the words. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Because, because they were thinking about themselves. But Mary, she was filled with the response of the miracle of salvation that she'd seen Jesus do for her brother, raising him from the dead. And she was filled with this natural outpouring of love. That's the natural outflow of the saved of the believer. That's the natural, not something we work up, it's something that that pours forth out of our hearts toward Him. That was the attitude. See, if we let the the attitude of Judas in and we start worrying about what it costs, we start worrying about how it affects our time and how hard it is and how difficult it is, but it's not very long before we have talked ourselves into a place We're not expressing love. We're not expressing worship. We're not expressing praise to the greatest value in all of the universe. C.S. Lewis said, what you love, you praise. Natural. Just comes out. Not only do you praise it, you can't help but extol its, its, its goodness to anyone you run into. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all men, because the natural outpouring from the heart surrendered to Christ, and who understands what He did, understands our brokenness and that He has made us whole, the natural outpouring of that is to love extravagantly. To love, to love like Christ loved us. A new commandment I give unto you. As I have loved you, love one another. Wow. She poured it out. So listen, if we hear the voice of one telling us to moderate our love for Jesus, that's too extravagant, that's too much to give. That's not the voice of God. As a voice like Judas. So let your affections be extravagant. If a voice tries to tempt you into the love of money, that, that you would follow that desire, that's not the voice of Jesus. Listen, in Jesus you will find greater riches and that all the money of the earth cannot buy. It's not the voice of Jesus. It's a voice like Lazarus. There's a voice telling you that his death is is nothing less than what accomplishes the miracle of justification making us alive. It's not the voice of Jesus. It's a voice like Judas. Judas. 
Whenever brokenness meets the resurrection and the life, she breaks forth in lavish praise, extravagant worship, costly service, martyr-like witness. That's natural. The outpouring of a life that was dead but has been made alive. A life that had been broken but has now been made whole. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you this morning just to, God, I pray, be encouraged in your word, Lord Jesus, that when we have the proper understanding of the value of your sacrifice, of the treasure that is Jesus Christ, that we respond in extravagant worship, that we respond in extravagant love, That we respond, Lord God, we respond. We don't have the empty cries of the people on the side of the road saying, save me from this and save me from that. But we have the cries of people that say, I love you because you did save me. You have saved me. You are saving me. You came in your perfection so that you might take my brokenness and and the God of the universe bore upon himself sin which is the dishonoring and devaluing hating of God. He who had known none of those things became those things so that I might become the righteousness of God. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And you call me then, you call me in the midst of all of that to say simply those who believe, who entrust, who place their weight, who put their lives In Christ Jesus, they shall be saved. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. He can make me alive. And when we understand the miracle, the beauty, the majesty of the gift, the depravity of our sin, then we respond 
and love extravagantly. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think more about the cost. Sometimes I think more about the pain or the suffering that will take place. Sometimes I think more about how it affects me. I don't want to be that way. I want to live my life loving you extravagantly in equal proportion to the beauty of what you have done for me. So on this Palm Sunday, Lord God, I want to stand on the side and I want to shout, Hosanna, save me from my brokenness. Save me from my sin. Save me from my failures. And make me like you. That that would be the measure of my life day by day. Moment by moment. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but that I press on. I press on toward the call that God has laid upon me. Lord, that you would be glorified and magnified in our worship as we love you. Lord, may we, your people, cry out, Hosanna, save me. And may we experience the miracle of your justification, the miracle of salvation, the miracle that you bestow upon all those who believe. And that in response, we would look and sound a lot more like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Then we sound like Judas. Then we give you praise worthy of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.